Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. Bible, please stand with me to 1 Corinthians 10. We are continuing our series called Wild, and we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 10 from uh, verse 23 all the way to 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. We're just going to be reading one verse in 1 Corinthians 11. So follow me with your Bible as I read. Paul says here as he writes, that the Corinthians seem to be saying to him, all things are lawful. But he says, but not all things are helpful. And they go on to say, all things are lawful. But Paul says, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the, market, in the mid market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, listen to this, eat whatever is said before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience. If I partake in thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word speaks to us. Your word guides us. Your word transforms us. Your word sets us free. Lord, even as we just heard, we are free from fear. Now pray today, may the word of God set us free from fear. May the word of God train us and equip us. May the word of God glorify Jesus. May he be on display as we look at the word today. And I pray, Lord, may the power of the gospel do a great work in our lives. I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So we are continuing this series, and I've titled this Conscience and the Glory of God. Because really what we're going to be looking at this morning is conscience. Because Paul seems to be talking about people's conscience. So what are we going to be focusing on is we're going to be focusing on what is conscience. We're going to be focusing on worldly conscience, godly conscience. And why is Paul seem to be talking about conscience? What is conscience? Worldly conscience. Godly conscience. And Why? conscience? Why does Paul seem to be appealing to people's conscience? What is conscience? The interesting thing about this is that if you read books and magazines, if you read some therapy books, they seem to have a different view of conscience. But the way I can try and at least explain it to you in a way that maybe it's a bit more um, simpler is that conscience is that, that whisper. 
that voice, that inner conviction as you are about to make decisions, as you are about to do something in your life. Do you remember that thing that speaks to you? That thing that says, no further. Do not go any further. Do not do it. It's time for you to act now. There's no peace in me, so I'm not going to do it. That voice, that whisper, that's in, that inner feeling that seems to be talking to you all the time, that seems to be helping you know what is right and what is wrong, that seems to be giving you a sense of trepidation, that seems to be giving you a sense of guidance, that is your conscience. It's deeply embedded. But it also gives you a standard in life. It helps you to know that, hey, don't settle for any other standard but this standard, because this is your standard right now. And as John MacArthur clearly defines it, he says, he talks about conscience. He says, since the conscience holds people to their highest perceived standard, believers need to set that standard to the highest level by submitting to all God's word as they continually fill their minds with the truth of scripture. Which means everyone has conscience. We all have, we all, we all have that voice. We all have that thing that speaks to us. We all have that thing that says, I don't have peace about this. We, are, we, we all have that thing that says, I think it's time for you to go now. We all have that. Whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, we all have it. The biggest question is, is it submitted to the authority of Christ? Because your conscience tells you what is right or wrong. But it can be wrong as well. Because if it's not submitted to the authority of Christ, because your conscience operates within the framework of your worldview, if it's not submitted in the authority of Christ and under the authority of Christ and under the scripture, it will tell you, God doesn't care. It will tell you, he's not all for you. It will tell you all kinds of things that will derail you. Why? Because all you are doing is you're just operating within the framework of what you know. You're just operating within the framework of your culture and your worldview. But then the gospel does something revolutionary. It revolutionizes your conscience. It comes and brings your conscience into something completely bigger, something different altogether. So conscience is that thing, that whisper, that feeling, that thing that talks to you more than anything else. It talks to you more than your friends. It talks to you more than your spouse. It makes you stop when you're just about to act. It makes you act when you're just about to stop. It makes you feel reluctant to do something else. That's why we keep saying, I don't have peace about this. That's why we keep saying, I just don't feel this is right. You know why? Because the voice has whispered and said, there you go and no further. You stop and you go. It's like a, traffic, a set of traffic lights. They tell you, pause. They tell you, go. They tell you, come. They tell you all kinds of things. So that voice that speaks to you, it speaks to you all the time. And Paul is beginning now to appeal to this, to appeal to their conscience. But the second thing is, you have a godly conscience, but you have a worldly conscience. But what is worldly conscience? I'd like to use maybe a few things here to define this and to help you understand this. Is that worldly conscience, even as we've just been singing a song about fear, is worldly conscience seems to be driven by fear all the time. 
because it tells you what to do and what not to do. Almost like a legalistic conscience. You know, you have believers who are believers, saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, but their conscience has not been set free from legalism. All they got to do is the way they live your life is about yes or no. It's about the black and white. It's about should I or should I not. But in, in worldly conscience, fear drives us. So I'll make an example. Do we have Europeans here? All right, let's see some hands. Great. Quite a few here and there. Patrick is multi Europe, I'm joking. But Patrick is this way, but he, he does exist to this side for those who are here. <laughs> but the interesting thing about worldly conscience in the European mindset. Remember some of you, you were told, do not walk under a ladder. Remember that? And every time you get closer, for some, even if you are a believer, you think, I know I'm free in Christ, but I shall not walk under a ladder. <laughs> Why? Because consciousness says, remember. It just says, remember this. Here and no further. And now... I'll tell you why that is the case, and then you'll understand. Then, now, of course, I'll tell you a little bit more. But the reason this comes from a, from a Christian point of view, there's some believe that this, this belief or this superstition originates from Christianity, and some believe it doesn't. But those who believe it originates from Christianity, this is what they think. They think that you see a ladder. If you put a ladder like this against the wall, on the floor, or the ground, against the wall, what does it form? It forms a triangle. And Christians used to believe, and by the way, let me clear your conscience, this is not true. But Christians used to believe that, this is years and years ago, we just adopted this stuff. They used to believe that because it's a triangle, you have the wall, you have the ground, and you have the ladder. What it represents is the Trinity. It represents the Father, it represents the Son, and it represents the Holy Spirit. Never go through it, because you'll be cursed. If you ever go through the Father, the Son, you have defiled the Trinity. And then it grew and grew and grew. And people are saying, remember not to go under the ladder, under the ladder because something's going to happen to you. The reality is, a lot of people who have not seen anything happen to anybody, who have been saved by grace, are still under the authority of this incredible superstition that seems to have dominated us in centuries. Let me tell you, the only reason you don't want to go under a ladder is because of the health and safety rules. <laughs> nothing else, nothing else will happen to you. And by the way, God is not defined by some kind of triangle. God is not defined by some kind of uh, triangle that you make or you shape here and there. And by the way, there is no way you'll go through the tr Trinity. You will never do that. But, let me say this. Only the gospel can shape your thinking that way. Because what I will say to you is, I will say to you right now, hey, it's okay to go under the ladder. And you're going to say, I believe you, it's okay. But believe me. When you encounter the ladder, then it's a different story. Why? 
because I'm using instructions, I'm telling you, but I'm not using the gospel. But the gospel is only the power that will set you free from the fear that you have that, you've, that has dominated you over the time. For someone like me, I grew up in Africa, and we have superstitions in Africa, as you might be aware of, and uh, some of them are shared across culture. Who are the Africans here? Great. There's a lot. Great. But let me say this. Do you know the story of a snake in the water? Do you know the story? Or is it just in my culture? That never walk near the lake but all by yourself because there's a monster in the water? Well, by the way, you don't just, it's not just your culture. You share that with the Scottish people because they believe that as well, right? They believe in the Loch Ness Monster. I once preached in the UK years ago. I said, we all believe that the Loch Ness Monster doesn't exist, right? And a Scottish man stood up and said, no! <laughs> let me tell you this. Why? Because let me tell you why that was the case. Parents used to go to work. They used to leave home. And they will go away. But they will leave the kids at home. And they'll, when they leave kids at home, they know kids just run rampant. They do stuff just by themselves. And the only way they have to control them so that they don't end up drowning they will say, if you go to the river, if you ever go to the lake, there's something in there. But nobody has ever seen it. And nobody knows what it is. Why? Because conscience is able to be gripped with fear. You are trapped in the world. And hey, that's a worldly way of thinking. And by the way, this is not just people who are people of faith. These are people who are not even people of faith. Do you know how many people I've spoken to who still believe that you can't walk through uh, under a ladder and most of them are not believers? It's got nothing to do with whether you subscribe to a particular faith. It's got everything to do with, hey, there's a voice that's telling you this is what is right and this is what is wrong. The question is, what is that voice? Where does it come from? What is that feeling? What forms that? What formulates that feeling? Where does it come from? Does it really come from God? If it doesn't, it will trouble you. It will grip you with fear. You will live your life trying to find out, are we allowed to do this or are we not allowed to do this? Because if I ever do this, I'll be in trouble all my life. I've seen some people from a religious point of view. Just before they enter a football field, have you seen some of the footballers? All they, they will do this, I don't know what they're doing, and then they'll enter, or something, they're kissing Jesus, I don't know what they're doing here. Um, but, you know what I mean. Um, and even when they've been replaced, that, you know, it's like substituted, they'll still do that. Even when they're losing or winning. Some people do that even in the church. Let me tell you this. All these things have been passed on to us within our own worldview. The question is, is that under the authority of Christ? Is it bring fear to you? If I don't do this, this is what will happen. We are no longer slaves to fear. Let's not be gripped by things. These are the things that are formulated in this world. Fear is not something that comes from God. Because perfect love drives out all fear. But the other thing is idolatry. It's not just fear. 
It's idolatry as well. Idolatry is an interesting thing because idolatry means the degoding of God. Where you say, God, you don't belong to the throne. Come down and something else must go to the throne. And what is it? The very thing I live for. The very thing that my life is worth. The very thing that I'll offer myself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to it. That is my idol. It can be children. It can be your spouse. It can be your family. It can be money. It can be power. It can be sex. It can be all kinds of things. The very thing that you live for, that if you were to lose it, you will say, I'd rather die. You think, my life is not worth anything. The conscience that is not submitted under the authority of Christ is living to please this. That is why sometimes people will become Christians, saved by grace, restored to God with the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's something that's still very much stuck in Egypt, even though they've been set free. It's still very much there. And sometimes the idols of our hearts could do that. Sometimes it's the objects that we used to worship. What do you see when you look at an object? Is it the meat that you were not allowed to eat before you became a believer? Every time you look at it, it's still very much the, the, the idol behind that meat still has power over you. What are some of the objects? What about money? What are some of the things that are there that have power over you regardless? What are some of, here's a challenge. What about some of the places? I'm speaking to Christians. What about some of the places? Some of you think that there is such thing as a holy land and unholy land. The question is, what makes the land holy? Let me tell you, the only thing that could ever make anything holy is if God dwells there. If there's no presence of God somewhere, it's not holy. It's only holy for as long as God is there. That's why God was speaking to Moses. I say, hey, the place where you're dwelling now is holy ground. Take off your, your sandals. Why? Because God had come. My question to you is, and I know I'm, I'm speaking to the mind here. My question to you is, show me a place that is holy, regardless of God's presence. Why is it then that you believe, if I only ever go on this pilgrimage, if I only ever go to this place, if I visit this country, something will happen in my life because this place is holy. The other thing is, what about, what about church? Do you know some people they believe that if I go to this church with Aspire, build in a way that traditional churches were built, is God pews, it's very quiet when you walk inside. Only if I pray there will something happen to me. I'll receive the blessing of God and I'll feel very nourished in my spirit. I only have to go there because that place, can you feel the quietness? Can you see the pews? Can you see everything about it? This place must be holy. The question is, why is it holy? Because if God's not there, it's not holy. The only place that is holy is where God is. So you see, the conscience tells you that all these things are becoming your priority. 
They're becoming the things that dominate your thinking. And they one day become idols because they give hope that only God is supposed to give. And you find that you've idolized a place. You've idolized a country. You've idolized a person. If only I can touch that person. If only I can kiss the the man. Something's going to happen to me. That's not true. The whisper has lied to me. The deep feeling has deceived me. Now, how can I be free? The gospel. Godly conscience. And Paul seems to be talking about this godly conscience here in an interesting way. Because godly conscience, Paul says, the first thing about godly conscience is this. Godly conscience tells you God is in charge. That's why Paul, as he begins his statements, he says, the earth is the Lord's and its fullness thereof. He's quoting David in Psalm 24. He's trying to tell us that, hey, guys, believe that God made everything in this world. Everything that you seem to think that you hope and you, you, you put your hope and your trust in, everything that you feel that will give you meaning in this life, remember, there's one who has created it all. And if you believe that, then all adoration, all glory, all power should not go to the thing. You should go to God alone. Why? Because he's the one who rules over space, over time, over matter. Everything was created by him and for him. And through him, nothing in this world could ever be created that's created. Because only he has the authority to create. The very one who is in charge of all creation is the only one who deserves the glory and the worship and the honor. That's what the conscience tells you. So then... When meat is presented to you, fear goes. Why? It's meat at the end of the day. Meat is meat. We're going to encounter our friend Peter later. Do you remember in Acts 8? A man who doesn't eat anything else, but that which has been prescribed for him in the law. God has a sense of humor. He puts everything before you. And he says, meat is only meat. Because everything here was created by you, by me. And the interesting thing is, if you've ever visited China, has anyone ever visited China here? Oh, great. Have we got Chinese people here? All right, I'm saying this because my wife is not here. <laughs> Emily went to China two days ago to see her parents. Her dad is not well. All right, I'll take this opportunity. If you go to China, it's very interesting what you eat there. I remember the first night we went there with a team. Joel, remember that? The first thing, because I grew up with an interesting thinking that don't share food, don't do this, don't do... So in China, it's not like don't share food. It's like eat from the same bowl. And also it's like draw everything with your chopstick. Put it in your mouth and put it back in there while you're sharing at the same time. Do you know that? Oh, prepare to be surprised. Just when you think you're short, Nemo, there's more. You see that? It says we are blending in now. We're becoming one. That's what it means to be a family. It says it doesn't matter where you go. Whatever is put before you, eat it. That's what Paul says here. But that's very interesting for me. Because I've always been picky. Farsi fussy, they say. <laughs> All right. Okay, back to the message now. 
Oh, this is interesting. Because in China, it feels like they eat anything and anything that walks and crawls. <laughs> except for human beings. That has been verified, right? <sighs> Something I struggled with. And the first time, this is a cultural shock, by the way, is dealing with my conscience. <laughs> I arrive in China, and then they give me this big worm. It's a massive black worm. And I say, where do you get this? Oh, the depth of the ocean. What is it called? Sea cucumber. Sea cu it doesn't look like a cucumber to me. It looks like a worm, but you got to eat it. And I pick it with my chopstick. You can't pick food, right? You can't, you can't do this to rice. It's an insult in China, right? Yeah, exactly. So I'm trying to feel the texture. No, don't do it. Just eat. I eat it, and it's rubber. But hey, the secret is I swallowed it. I didn't eat it. It's rubbery. It's tender. It just goes in. But anyway. <clears throat> but anyway, back to the message. The interesting thing is, it's not just sea cucumber. It's sea urchins. Have you ever had sea urchins? Who's ever eaten it? Wow, you are bold. You are very cross-cultural, and you need to educate a lot of us, because it says eat whatever is put before you. And why do I have the freedom to eat this, by the way? Because the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. Because all of this was created by God. Nothing else, okay? Nothing else. If I see someone eat it, I'm thinking, they haven't died? Okay, good. So means I can eat it. With, with some exceptions, by the way. Here are some exceptions. I once went to India. Oh, Indians, did you know this was coming? I once went to India and, um, ages ago, and I was in Mumbai, and this was very interesting. The Mumbai guys, if you're watching this, listening, I love you. So, so I was in Mumbai, and I'm, I'm there, I'm walking on the street, and I try to avoid street food. Because when I travel, I have a very weak stomach. Yeah, Paul talks about it. Weak stomach, give him wine. Um, so I avoid weak, because I have a weak stomach. But what happened this time was these guys just thought, you are, look, you are among us, you are with us now. Eat whatever is put before us. And we were walking. And as we were walking, we, we encountered this place. And they were serving here, Panipuri. <laughs> but hey, hey, Pani means water in Indian. But it's not just the Panipuri. I'm willing to eat that. The question is, where does the pani come from? <laughs> Believe me, after eating this, I was visiting the bathroom very often. <laughs> hey, the earth is the Lord's <laughs> and the fullness thereof. <laughs> Why? Because I'm free. Secondly, there's freedom. Your conscience is not only submitted under your authority, recognizing that God is in charge of everything, but also your conscience is free. And look at Paul here. He seems to be telling them, that, hey guys, don't allow anyone to hold your conscience captive because it's free in God. You are free in your conscience. Do you remember the story about Jesus and the Pharisees? Jesus is trying to demonstrate to the Pharisees that, hey, I'm free. 
<laughs> Do you remember what happened? The Pharisees are saying to Jesus, look at your disciples. They eat. And yet, according to the, rit the rituals or the law, they have to clean their hands before they eat. Because if they eat with dirty hands, what they eat is dirty, it's unholy. And Jesus, demonstrating that he's free, in Mark 7, 15, he, he asked them a question. He says, tell me what makes a man unclean. It, is it what goes in or what comes out? He says, what goes in does not make man unclean. But what comes out? And he's, by the way, he's talking about the heart. Let me put you to ease. <laughs> what comes out of the heart is the one that makes man unclean. So it's not what you eat. It's, the, it's what is carried in here. Which means Jesus is trying to say, you are free to eat. It doesn't matter. Eat with a clear conscience because you've experienced freedom in Christ. When we submit our conscience under the authority of Christ, when we say the Holy Spirit, govern my conscience, this is what happens. He gives you freedom that all of a sudden what people think about you in terms of what you eat or don't eat doesn't matter anymore because what matters is the fact that, hey, God has set me free so that I can eat whatever. The other thing is, remember the Sabbath? What Jesus said about the Sabbath? The people were saying, it's Sabbath today, which means you're not allowed to cure any man. You're not allowed to do this and do that. You cannot pick a straw on the Sabbath. What does Jesus say? He says, my conscience is clear. I'm free from Sabbath. Because Sabbath was not Man was not made for Sabbath, but Sabbath for man. Which means man is free from Sabbath. Because the Sabbath was made for man to rest. It wasn't for men to submit under the authority of the Sabbath and be captivated by this. And that becomes a stronghold in your life. Or it grips you with fear in case you picked a straw on a Sabbath. No, no, no. He's saying, I'm doing it for you so that you might rest. Not so that you must submit to it. Because at the end of the day, if the earth is the Lord's and the fullness die off, it means that God has entrusted the world to you to be those who will look after the world and not to submit under the authority of the things that you've been asked to look after. Because God has given man authority. But sadly, man has looked at authority and said, wow, this is too much for me. I'm going to give it to idols. I'm going to give it to all kinds of objects and, and say, I will come under your authority. But God is saying, no, 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 no. They are all under your authority. Freedom. You are free. Do not allow your conscience to be, kept, to be captured by anything, to be put under fear, or to be dominated by anything. The other thing is, Paul is saying here that a believer... A conscience that is submitted under the authority of God is very dynamic. What do I mean by that? It's not static. A legalistic conscience is very, very static. What do I mean by that? Have you ever come across people who come to you all the time to ask you, are we allowed to do this or not? Has that ever happened? I have lots of people come to me and say, are Christians allowed to do this? Are Christians allowed? I want to know if we are allowed to do this. Paul is saying it's not about what you are allowed to do or not allowed to do. I just want to know if we see, are we allowed to eat this kind of meat? Um, am I allowed to go here? 
Am I like, no, no, Paul is saying it's not about what you're allowed to, what you're not allowed. What is dominating your conscience when you start asking a question, am I allowed to, am I not allowed to, is fear. But a dynamic conscience, a conscience that is not static, submits under the authority of God, he asks the question, what gives glory to God in this instance? So Paul is saying, people bring meat home. And this meat has just left the marketplace having been sacrificed to idols. And he says, if someone brings meat home and they invite you around, by the way, to come and have food with them at home, and you come and you spend time with them and you eat food, and, and all of a sudden, with the knowledge that this has been sacrificed to idols, he says to you, if they say this was sacrificed to idols, Paul says, step back. But then he says, if nobody says anything, eat as much as you like. The question then that we might ask is that, is Paul inconsistent? Is Paul, does he know what he believes? Do we eat? Do we not eat? You see, what we've just done there is we've just been legalistic again. We've just said, is it a, do I eat or do I not eat? Paul is saying it's not about that. Because the first thing that you need to know is that idols have no power. Idols only have power to those that worship them. Which means the person who is worshipping idols here, if you participate in eating the food, and that, to them, the food is a sacrifice to idols. And when they say, do you know this was sacrificed to my God? In participating, you are saying, I also come under the authority of, my, of your idol. But at the end of the day, it's not to do with your conscience. It's to do with their conscience. Because what you are appealing to is not your conscience. You're appealing to their conscience. Because their conscience is telling, you that it is telling them that if you eat, you are suggesting that the, the, the God they worship is powerful after all. But if you eat without the knowledge and not, not submitting to it, without them saying anything, without them voicing anything about idols, at the end of the day, meat is meat. Eat whatever you like. Do you see that? Christianity is not just a black and white thing. The wisdom of God has been revealed so that in everything, whether we eat or we drink, whatever we do is all to the glory of God. Whether I participate, if I participate, here's a brother who's sitting next to me, has invited me over for a meal. I participate by eating without being eating something that's given to idols or without the knowledge. I'm just eating meat and I'm winning the brother. When I win the brother, that is to the glory of God. If I stop eating because now I've been told it's to the worship of idols, what I'm saying is I'm not going to submit to idols at all. And that brings glory to God. It's interesting, isn't it? Is it inconsistent? Because think about it. In chapter 6, Paul has already said to you, remember what Paul said? He said to you, do not eat the meat in the temples. But now he's saying eat the meat. Is he inconsistent? No, Paul says, he says, I do not allow my conscience to be captured by anyone. Because my conscience is not dependent upon whether I eat or do not eat. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
Everything in this world belongs to God. Now, why? Why would Paul do that? I've got two things here. The first one is glory. And the second one is he doesn't want to be a stumbling block. Let's start with glory. The reason Paul is doing this, he's saying, eat and do not eat. He's saying, just participate and do this, but do not participate. He's saying, in everything, your motives should, should be one thing, the glory of God. Not fear. Don't be dominated by fear. But ask the question, is this to the glory of God? Is God being glorified here? When I gather my friends and enjoy this with them, is God being glorified here? That's the most important thing. But in your actions, in your reactions, if God is not glorified, then something else is glorified. When it comes to glory, Paul seems to be using glory here in two ways. is glory by omission and glory by commission, which means certain things I do not do. Why? So that God might be glorified. I could do this, but I choose not to do it because I know if I don't do it, God is going to be glorified. If I was supposed to eat this meat, you might relate this to other things. If I was supposed to do it, and because I know that my brother here has a weak conscience, that means he doesn't understand. If I decide not to eat it, my brother here is going to know God through this because I'm going to explain that I don't submit under the authority of idols. And if I do this, God gets that glory. But glory by commission means I go there, I go among the people, my neighbors, I encounter them, I spend time with them, and I make sure that I do what they do. As they eat, I eat with them. As they sit on the floor, I sit with them. As they eat sea urchins, I eat sea urchins with them. Why? Because God is going to receive glory in this. The second thing Paul says, he says, you are not in any way to be a stumbling block to people. Because sometimes, most of the time, when we encounter people who don't know Christ, do you know what? We are more obsessed about us than we are about them. And Paul says here, it's not about us, it's about them. He says here, should I be a stumbling block to the Greeks? Should I be a stumbling block? Or the Gentiles, should I be a stumbling block to the Jews? He said, no, I'm not. Because Jesus once said, woe, woe is me, or woe to me, that people shall stumble because of me. That people should not know God because of me. If your brother see you, sees you eating or participating in something that is to the glory and the worship of idols, they're going to stumble and they're going to think God does not exist. They're going to think God is not powerful enough. Do you know what? They're going to participate and they are gone. Their conscience is gone. I said to you, I'm going to come to a story. And the story is the story of Peter. But when you read this psalm, Psalm 24, I've just referred to earlier, Remember what he says? That says, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Well, right towards the end, it says this. It says, open up the gates. Let the gates be open so that the king of glory may come in. And he says, who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong, mighty. He is the king of glory. The Lord, mighty in battle, is the king of glory. Open the gates. <laughs> you know what it means? As you begin to push your brother's conscience before you, yours, as you begin to reach out to them, do you know what happens? The gates of their hearts open to the gospel. And you know what's going to come in? Jesus Christ is going to come in and he's going to make that place 
of their hearts, his resident. As you open their hearts, the gospel is going to come in as good news to them. And it's going to be ministered through your encounter with them. But conscience is very important. And if it's not submitted under the authority of God, we're in trouble. Think about the story of Peter. Peter finds himself in Joppa. He's lying there in a guest house, sleeping. He's very tired. He's been on this long journey. And what happens? God lowers a sheet from heaven. A man who is a Jew, who is told not to eat certain things, who lives by, do not eat. Do eat. And his conscience is telling him, everything I see here, I should not eat. I'm sure there were sea urchins and all kinds of things, but I don't know. But he sees everything. Pork, he sees all kinds of things. And God says, kill and eat. And Peter says, what's God doing there? He's appealing to his conscience. Peter says, I'm not going to eat something that I shouldn't eat. And who is he talking to? He's talking to God. And God says, no, I said kill and eat. If there was ever someone who would come to you and say, this is not right, it's me. But I'm giving you the authority to eat. Peter was troubled. Why? Because God was appealing to his conscience. It's not an easy thing. The other thing that you find later is that Paul, what Peter was doing there, he was being prepared for something that was just about to happen. Do you remember those wild animals represented? They represented people, groups that Peter despised or called unclean. He could never enter a Gentile's house at all. Why? Because they were unclean. God appeals to our conscience for his glory so that we might tell people about Jesus Christ. And when Peter went to Cornelius' house, he could enter the house, he could preach the gospel, and when we preached the gospel, people got saved. And he was amazed that God, the God of the heavens and the earth, can touch the hearts of the Gentiles as well. So let me say this. Be free from any bad conscience. Submit your conscience to the authority of God. And as you do that, God will use you to open doors of people's hearts and the glory of God will come and we'll see the gospel come. Let your conscience give glory to Jesus because that's where it belongs. Let's pray together. Do you know who is the master? Do you know who purifies the Holy Spirit? Why don't you ask the Holy Spirit to come into your heart? Holy Spirit, I want to pray right now that fear will leave us. Lord, those who've been gripped by fear, those who've been gripped with fear and superstition, those who've been dominated by the things of this world, I pray right now that by your Spirit, would you set us free? I pray, Lord, that you give us freedom, the freedom that is in Christ. I pray, Lord, that our conscience will be to the glory of Christ alone. I pray, Father God, that whatever we do, let it give glory to Jesus. May we never ask questions like, are we allowed or are we not allowed? But may the question be, is God being glorified? And I pray today that you will receive glory in everything we do. And this city 
will be reached for the glory of Christ. Lord, bless us. Bless us as individuals here. Lord, help us clear our conscience so that, Lord, what we do, we may not do out of guilt. We may not do out of fear. Lord, that idols will fall and Jesus will be lifted. I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. Thank you.